Hello, and welcome back to Over My Dead Pod. I'm Kylie Colwell. This is Kate Carter. And this is Holly Spear. As some of you may know, the very first case I covered on this podcast was the story of the Opelika Jane Doe, a story that I always said I needed to see solved in my life. And if you didn't listen or haven't heard of the story, basically the remains of a young girl were found behind a trailer park in Opelika, Alabama. The remains could not be identified for 11 years, and with that, the case went cold. Well, not long after the episode came out, Opelika Jane Doe was identified as Amore Javea Wiggins, and her father and stepmother have been arrested and charged in her murder. What? You didn't know this? We talked about this. No, did we talk about this? We did an overtime on it. Did we? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm talking on a blank today, but how exciting. Very exciting. But the case is yet to go to trial, but I want to return to the Auburn, Alabama area, uh, right down the street at Auburn University, my alma mater. Similarly, this case went cold for 11 years, but there's also been a recent conclusion. This is the story of the murder of 24-year-old recent Auburn graduate, Lori Slazinski. At the time of this story, Lori Ann Slazinski was 24 years old, living and working in Auburn, Alabama. Lori's family, her parents, Arlene and Casimir, who went by Casey, and her brother Paul were originally from New York. The family moved to Alabama when Lori was 13 for a simpler life, living on a peaceful, large property. So Lori was super, super smart. She was a valedictorian of her high school and soon after enrolled at Auburn University, majoring in psychology and minoring in criminal justice. When Lori started school, her parents bought her a mobile home to live in. I don't know how y'all schools were, but like when I was at Auburn, it's in the same like mobile home park. There were, it was like a lot of students and it's like right off campus. It was like cheaper than the apartments, but you had like a lot more space. Like people had big decks. Like it was kind of the thing to do in Auburn. Like, like, like a trailer park. Yeah. Oh, interesting. No, I've never, mm -mm, never seen that. Never heard of that. Oh yeah. But it's like, it's like in the woods. It's kind of cute. Okay, that sounds creepy as soon as you say it's in the woods. I mean, it's like off a major road, but it's like a wooded trailer park. Okay. Okay. Like a campground. Okay. 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 Still creepy. Anyways, Lori lived in the mobile home with her cute little dog, Peanut. And it wasn't long until Lori graduated with honors and started working at a local mental health facility with her best friend, Lindsay Braun. On June 10th, 2006, Lori had made plans with Lindsay to have a girls' night in at Lindsay's place with some drinks and a movie. At 6.30 p.m., Lori called Lindsay to say she was going to stop at the store for a few things, and then she was going to head over. Lindsay later told investigators in the TV show 48 Hours she heard Lori's friend Rick Enos in the background on the phone call, but she didn't think much of it. Rick was one of Lori's friends. Lori failed to show up to girls' night and didn't return any of Lindsay's calls. Lindsay continued to call Lori without success the rest of the weekend. On Monday, June 12th, Lori didn't show up for work. At this point, Lindsay started to get really concerned. 
She texted Rick saying, have you seen Lori? Where is she? I'm worried about her. Rick responded with, no, I haven't. And I'm worried now too. The next day, Tuesday the 13th, Lori once again failed to show up to work. By now, Lindsay was beyond uneasy. So with the coworker, they headed to Lori's mobile home to see what was up. So they showed up at the mobile home park on Webster Road to find Lori's front door unlocked. Once inside, they found Lori's dog, Peanut, in his crate. He appeared to have been fed. His crate wasn't soiled, so it looked like someone had been taking care of him, not like Lori had been gone for four days. Because of this, Peanut helped to set off some alarms. Lori would have never gone days without talking to her loved ones, and she definitely wouldn't have not showed up to work without calling. Another thing Lindsay noticed was that there were three missing rugs in Lori's kitchen. Peanut was scared to walk on the tile, and Lori had put three little area rugs down for him. And these were like little mismatched, just rugs she happened to pick up. A little trail for him. So cute. Peanut kind of saves the day a little bit. Lindsay also noticed that the outside trash can was missing, along with the answering machine in the living room being unplugged. At this point, Lindsay was spooked and called Lori's mom, Arlene, who came rushing down to Auburn, alerting her husband and police on the drive down. When Arlene arrived, she noticed that the phone in Lori's bedroom was missing its long cord. This is back when we had phones with cords. She immediately called the Auburn Police Department to report her daughter is missing. But like we've heard many times before, police told Arlene they had to wait 48 hours and that Lori was probably a runaway. What really pisses me off about this is it's technically been 96, 96 hours since Lori was last seen or heard from. So it's been more than 48 hours. And also, if you don't know, there is no hour requirement to report someone missing. So. Correct. That is a myth. But Arlene didn't know what to do. She decided to stay at Lori's mobile home and just wait for her. While there, Arlene got a phone call from Rick saying that Lori had gone to make a big drug deal. He also said he told police the same thing. Next thing you know, police showed up at the mobile home, raiding the place like she was Pablo Escobar. So instead of investigating the case of a missing young woman, they decided they had the time and resources to investigate an alleged drug dealer. Love it. Interesting. But of course, police did not find any evidence of a large-scale drug business. I don't know if they found anything illegal or not, but um, Lindsay did later tell reporters that Lori did grow a small amount of marijuana for personal use, but she never sold any of it and she never intended to. But police did actually start investigating Lori's disappearance after this, and they began with questioning Rick, the last person, I guess, not seen with her, but heard with her. Rick did confirm that he was with Lori at her mobile home that day on the 10th, but that he had left by himself and she was fine. He also reiterated that the two grew marijuana together and suggested Lori went off to sell a large amount to some unsavory characters. Police recovered security footage from the nearby Walmart, showing Lori at Walmart by herself shopping for a few things. Police looked into the relationship between Rick and Lori and found out that the two had met at a local bowling alley where Lori visited and Rick worked at. The two were grew super close with Lori even having Rick come home with her for Christmas because he didn't have a family to go home to. Lori's mom, Arlene, later said on 48 Hours, she asked me, she said, Mom, he has no family. Can I invite him? She kind of, you know, felt bad that he was going to spend Christmas alone. He was friendly. 
he was polite. My red flags. Red flags? The, the no family part? No, I just don't. I just I think he might be a little weird. Okay, we'll see. I don't like his story so far, so I'm going to throw a red flag in there. Um, I do have a little fun fact. A special shout out yeah. to my best friend, Sienna. Because Sienna took a bowling class at this bowling alley and she got MVP in 2016. Look at you, girl! You go, Sienna. You go, Sienna! I know who's on my team next time we go bowling. Yes. Yeah, much better than me. So funny. Oh, I can't see her being a bowling person. That's so good. I had no idea about the bowling alley when I started looking into this case, and then... There's only one bowling alley in Auburn, and I was like, oh. So, of course, I had to text Sienna to yeah. confirm. Good for her. Back to the story. Lindsay told investigators that not long before Lori went missing, Rick gave her a love letter. Lori told Lindsay and other friends she wasn't romantically interested in him, and she was going to talk to him about it. Hmm. Rick did admit to police that he wrote the letter, and that he had told friends Lori had rejected him. But before police could even blink, there was a development. On Wednesday, June 14th, at 4.40 a.m., Lori's car was found engulfed in flames on the dead end of DeKalb Street, right behind Bolero, Auburn, where Rick worked. When police arrived and assessed the scene, all they could say was that any evidence in the car was destroyed, but that Lori was not in the vehicle. An investigator did locate a hand-rolled cigarette nearby and collected it for evidence. A gas can was also located in the woods nearby. I don't know how they figured this out, but apparently a gas can was missing from the bowling alley and they pieced it together that way. I don't know why a bowling alley would have gas. Maybe but- maybe they just knew like one employee was like, I know for a fact there was one in the storage closet or something like that, you know? Yeah. With all the that police had, they started to hone in on Rick and brought him back in for some questioning. This time, in a short sleeve shirt, investigators noticed Rick's arms were covered in scratch marks. Rick never tried to explain them away, but he did voluntarily give a DNA sample. Police then proceeded to search Rick's car, where they found some suspicious things. Police found a knife, fuzzy handcuffs, a cleaning supply set so large it could rival any maid, and a few tiki torches. And the cleaning supplies. That's a lot. That's a lot. It also looks like one of the cleaning supplies is nail polish remover. Yes. Suspicious. Suspicious. And I don't know what those tan bottles are. I don't either, but... Like fluid? Like lighter fluid? Yeah. And the tiki torches are small. They're small. They're like the size of a cleaning bottle, but... They're like tabletop tiki torches. Mm -hmm. Auburn police then returned to Lori's mobile home to do a more detailed search. Now suspecting murder instead of their victim being a drug dealer. They then realized that the temperature had been set to almost freezing. They also located the lid to the missing trash can in the office, along with a gold earring with blonde hair stuck in it. Police started to look more into Rick and found something very, very disturbing. Holly might know this, but Kate, are you ready? I'm so ready. Rick, when he was only 12 years old, was convicted of murdering his mother and stepfather. That's why when Kylie asked, like, do you think it's suspicious that he doesn't have a family? I was like, no way Kate calls this. 
didn't see that one coming. I mean, sure, I threw up some red flags early, but it wasn't the family thing. I thought he was just being a weirdo, man. This this is why he doesn't have a family. Because he killed him. Mm-hmm. At, and how old was he? Twelve. Suspicious. Oh, yeah. Suspicious. I mean, that's so creepy. Okay. Wasn't ready for that, but wow. What a story. What a red story. flags. <laughs> Major <laughs> red flags. Yeah. To say the least. So Rick's legal name is Daryl Richard Enos. On March 13, 1993, Alabama State Trooper John Clark found Rick walking alongside a highway in Montgomery, Alabama. John Clark picked him up and put him in his patrol car. At one point, he turned to Rick and asked, where are your parents? To which, to which Rick responded, I killed them. John searched the backpack Rick had with him and found a kitchen knife, a 12-gauge shotgun, and loose ammunition. After phoning into dispatch, police went to the trailer home owned by Rick's mom, Dolly Enos, and her new husband, Eddie Joe Flowers. Inside, police found a wooden baseball bat broken into pieces and blood splattered everywhere. After doing a little investigating, police realized that Rick had shot his mom, Dolly, in the face and then proceeded to beat her in the face with a baseball bat. Rick then placed a velvet blanket over his mother's face and a rose on her chest. When his stepdad, Eddie, returned home from work, Rick also shot him in the face. Rick continued to live in the house with the bodies for two days, continuing to go to school without the slightest hint something had happened at home. I'm sorry. This is a 12-year-old? A 12-year-old. This is major issues. Like, sure, killing your parents, big issues anyways. But, like, acting like nothing's, like, wrong, going to school. This is messed up stuff. Even adult killers it's like a big deal to shoot someone in the face you know like it's very personal very very personal personal. and then to then to continue like with the bat like whoa that's something's obviously wrong but even yeah police also located a to-do list written by rick which included killing his three stepsisters who were older and did not live in the home with them at some point, Rick decided to take the family car and drive off, crashing it into a fence, forcing him to walk on foot, and this is where the trooper found him. When asked why he did all this, Rick, all Rick had to say was that his mom and new stepdad were planning to move to another town, and he didn't want to start at a new school. Rick ended up being convicted and sentenced to juvenile detention for nine years, and he was released at the age of 21. There's so many, many issues happening. Like, I understand juvenile sentencing, you're usually released at 18 or 21. Yeah. But a double homicide? I feel like there should be a little bit... There needs to be some mental treatment happening afterwards. Like, like confinement of some sort. At least probation. I don't know if he was on probation or something, but someone needs to keep an eye on him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mandatory to live with someone as well. You know, like, well, who would want (sighs) to... Who would want to take him in? But, like... I remember at probation, we had people all the time that it was like during sentencing, they had to do their probation while living with like a family member or they were being sent to a, a house for, yeah, halfway house. Yeah. So we don't know if Lori knew any of this or not, but it's most likely she did not. Yeah, I don't think no. yeah. anyone really did. So a little late to the game, they had realized Rick Enos was suspect number one but Rick had already skipped town without a trace. 
For five years, the case went under the radar without any movement. This was until 2016 when Special Agent with the Alabama State Bureau of Investigation, Mark Whitaker, started a cold case unit, and he had the disappearance of Lori Slezinski as his number one priority. And when I tell you Mark took this shit seriously, he had Lori's missing poster hanging in his closet so that every day when he got ready for work, he would see it, and he would, I guess, it gave him some motivation. Each their own. Once Mark and his investigators started going through the files, they found an envelope that had been left unopened since 2007. This envelope contained a forensic report showing that Rick's DNA had been identified in semen found on Lori's bed, blood on the interior of Lori's front door, and on the hand-rolled cigarette found by her burnt car. So, So, I'm sorry. (laughs) What? (laughs) Nobody opened the letter? Apparently, the guy in charge of the case retired before the DNA results came back, but no one bothered to open the envelope that had been sitting in the file the entire time. It literally puts him at three different spots in three different bad ways. Semen, blood, cigarette at the burn car. I mean, that's just... I don't know. When the case was reopened, investigators also located the three missing rugs from Lori's kitchen. As it turns out, Rick's roommate at the time had them and turned them into police. So I'm not sure if the roommate just like happened to have kept them in the house for 10 years or he knew that it was like potential evidence or weird either way, weird either way. But what's slightly more weird is that when investigators found the rugs, Rick's blood was on them. So the rugs had not been cleaned for 10 years. I wonder was wait okay so rick had skipped town so he wasn't living with that roommate but the roommate had these rugs so i wonder if like there was a box that was rick somewhere in the house and the rugs were in there like yeah i assume you know he he left pretty quickly i'm sure he left some things but 10 years after i mean dude if i had a roommate after like a year i'd be like yeah no i'm good willing all this stuff yeah that's crazy So investigators were already pretty certain Rick Enos was their guy, but all these forensic results that they probably have had the entire time solidified it. In August of 2018, Rick Enos was indicted for the murder of Lori Slazinski, but there was a problem. Rick was nowhere to be found. Yeah, that's great. But shout out to the U.S. Marshals who located him within a few days in Pilot, Virginia. And on August 6, 2018, on his birthday... Rick Enos was arrested. So it turns out Rick was employed as a builder of yurts and was engaged to a school librarian, leaving a pretty normal life. I assume he had to have changed his name. No. I don't what? Think so. I don't think he was going by another name because, okay, I originally wasn't going to mention the fiance, but I've decided I hate her and I think we all should. Okay. So, Miss Alana Atkinson has a hobby of being an amateur genealogist. I found her LinkedIn. She is still for hire if you want to build a family tree. <laughs> but while Rick and Alana were dating, she decided she was going to look into Rick's ancestry. And this is when she found out about Rick's no longer alive parents. Okay. 
So I don't know how long the two were dating prior to this, but this wasn't a red flag for Alana. And apparently Rick told her that his mom molested him and that's why he killed her. Yeah, those are still some red flags. To be dating someone, he never, okay, if that were the case and he was molested, you're dating someone who killed their parents and they never mentioned it until you find out? Yeah. Like, let alone you find out. Okay, sure. He tells this whole story about, like, why he did it and what. You're going to read articles. Like, you're going to go and do your research and be like, "Mm, no, he was convicted of, like, cold blood murder. Two of them. Two of them. Yeah, what's the other explanation for his dad? So she just stuck around. She stuck around. Okay. And in an interview with CBS's 48 Hours, she said, quote, they have the wrong person. There's no way. I'm trying not to laugh. Um, not only do I believe Rick is innocent, I believe that he would have given his life glory if he had been there. That's the kind of person he is, end quote. The kind of person he is is the person who killed his mom and stepfather and another girl, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. She loved him. That's your man. You know? Yeah. That's your man. So Rick's trial did not begin until 2022 because of the pandemic. Another little fun fact I found was that Rick was indicted by Lee County DA Brandon Hughes, but the case had to be taken over at trial because Brandon Hughes was in prison. Oh, this is pretty funny. So DA Brandon Hughes pled guilty to first-degree perjury and using public office for personal gain because he had created and used a fake search warrant to steal a truck from a tow yard. It happens, people. That's all I gotta say. People don't think this stuff happens. You, mm. First of all, what a stupid reason to get caught. You know, like, that's what you decided to use your power for? A truck. A truck. Anyways, at trial, Rick's defense team tried to come up with excuses for the evidence presented. They said the cigarette butt found by the car was taken from Rick's house and planted at the scene by police. The scratches on his arms were from his dog. The three rugs were from Target. He just happened to have bought the exact same three rugs that don't match whatsoever. Mm. And the cleaning supplies and tiki torches were in his car because he was in the middle of moving. The defense also relied heavily on the fact that Lori's body had not been located and the fact that there was no official cause of death because of this. The prosecution's theory is that Lori was strangled due to the scratches on Rick's arms, the shoe scuff marks on the wall, and the missing phone cord. As for her body not being located, DA Jessica Ventier had to say this, quote, I think we can all agree that there should be no reward for someone who's good at dumping a body. You should not get a prize for a body disposal. You should be held accountable for their murder, even though you are really good at dumping it, end quote. I think that's a fun quote. That's a good one. And this seemed to work because after two days of deliberating, the jury returned with a guilty verdict for capital murder kidnapping and burglary i don't know exactly where the burglary charge came from i don't know the rugs the rugs <laughs> which is not the, funny but yeah that's fine tack on the charges yeah whatever so rick was now facing the death penalty however Lori's mom arlene had the prosecutor remove this from the table because she didn't want to face years of potential appeal hearings yeah Thus, on April 14, 2022, Rick Enos was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So I have some sad news, but then I have some good news. Okay. 
Unfortunately, in 2020, Lori's brother Paul passed away from cancer, and a few months later, her dad passed away from COVID. Oh, no. Yeah, so they were able to find out that Rick had been indicted and arrested, but they did not see the trial or the conviction. That's so sad. Lori's mom, Arlene, kept the mobile home Lori lived in and put it in her backyard. She would often go visit it to remember her. And this actually was pretty helpful in the investigation because the investigators, she had kept it exactly as is. The investigators were able to go see it. She also remembered her through her dog, Peanut, who Arlene kept. And although Arlene had now lost her entire family, she gained a new one. Um, Through this investigation, Arlene became very close to investigator Mark Whitaker and his wife, and they spend, like, the holidays together. That's cute. But Lori's body has still yet to be found, leaving a little mystery left. Rick doesn't appear to be anywhere close to confessing his guilt or telling anyone what happened to Lori or where her body is. So Auburn's a pretty, it's in a pretty rural area. Like, you have the town and then it's nothing around it. So there's vast woods, state parks, and many rivers and lakes. It's also right off of Interstate 85. And given the time between Lori being last seen to the time Rick started being questioned, I think it's practically impossible to speculate where her body could be. Yeah. But Rick is now appealing his conviction. So I will update you all on that if anything comes of it. But I highly doubt it will. And that was the ongoing somewhat ongoing case of the murder and search for Lori Slazinski. Wow. That's really sad. Super sad. Good job, Kylie. Do we do we know that Rick burnt her car down? Yes. Because his cigarette was there, so we're gonna assume. Yeah, and the gas can from the bowling alley. That's right. The, okay. Yeah. I and they, they know for a fact her body wasn't in that car. Yeah. I'm going to say if he burnt her car for evidence reasons or for no reason at all and her body wasn't in it, he probably burned her body somewhere. And there's no, I mean, there's no way they're going to find that. Yeah. You know. I guess if he had it contained enough so no one could see and report a fire. Yeah, but like, you you just drive a little bit out of Auburn and. Yeah, that's true go to the middle of the woods somewhere i don't know i just feel like that's well that's what i think probably happened of course we may never know so i think it's a good theory because the trash can from outside is still missing Mm -hmm. yeah dang man i what a story yeah through i threw those red flags up pretty early but i just thought he was being a little bit of a, a weirdo you know like i didn't see the whole family thing coming that was you just have like a sixth sense for red flags. I do. I'm your red flag queen over here. Um, I would just like to also point out, you know, the injustice of our criminal system when it comes to people that probably have mental illnesses. Like that kid at 12 years old, if you brutally murder your parents, something is wrong. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can go and spend all the time you want in a, well, not that he wanted to be there, but getting rehabilitated, I highly doubt after nine years. 21 being 21 years old and being let go after nine years and killing your parent your family like 21's not the age i would want to mess with someone like that's a lot of hormones going on he doesn't have a family now so he's just kind of on his own it's really sketchy 
it is in like nine years to say like you go to prison from like 30 to 39 like that's not a big deal but to go into prison at the age of 12 yeah and then all of a sudden you're an adult out in the old yeah yeah well maybe someday we'll have practices put in place about how stuff like that should go down but at the moment not good and with that thanks for tuning in to another episode of over my dad pod if you want even more information including photos and sources of the case you can check out our blog on overmydeadpod.com be sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this and check us out on social media at over my dead pod we'll see you next week with another thrilling case All right, ladies, do we have any juicy stories for overtime? I can start us off. Okay. So, I mean, I I assume you guys have heard because it's been all over the news, but within the past, like, two weeks, we had that escapee convict from Pennsylvania. It's um, been juicy. It's been juicy. Okay, so those who don't know, his name is Dan- Danilo, D-A-N-I-L-O. Danilo, I guess mm-hmm. you would pronounce it. And of course, I'm a butcher's last name too. And we're just going to call him Dan. Okay. Calvacante. Thank you. Say his full name now. Danilo Calvacante. Okay. So I'm going to call him Dan. Okay. So if you don't know this story, it's out of a prison in Pennsylvania. There was an escapee convict. He was in prison for murder. He had life without the possibility of parole. He's from Brazil originally. He fled Brazil because he killed someone in Brazil. And then he fled to the U.S. and killed his ex-girlfriend. I think he stabbed her to death. Um, and so he got convicted and is in prison on life with no parole. Well, ladies, have you guys seen the video of him escaping? He's like little Spider-Man. Oh, I haven't seen it. Okay, I'm going to share my screen and show it to you. Um, it's he, kind of hilarious. He Spider-Mans his way out. He puts his hand on the front of a brick wall, his feet on the back of a brick wall, and he goes up. And he literally climbs up a wall, which I, someone taught, like someone told him, this is gonna how you're going to do it. Because there's no way you would just be like, this is going to work. I'm going to do it. He crawls, yeah. he climbs up a wall and goes through a wire fence. So the part that you can see in the video is from him climbing up the wall and i just remember seeing the video and i was like there is no way this dude got away with it well he did so hold on watch that video i don't think anyone expected it to look as stunning as it just did danilo cavacante uh crab walking putting his hands up against one part of the wall his legs up against the other and basically shimmying that's the whole video (laughs) it's just him crab walking where did he go from there he he goes on top. It's the top of the building, and he goes. Yeah. He just goes through the underneath the wired fence. That's on top of the building. Jumps off, runs off. Well, I don't understand how he wasn't seen by guards running off the property. Um, yeah. prisons are kind of hard to like. If you see someone walking or running outside of a prison, there has to be cameras. Like that's not normal. Usually, there's guards and like guard towers along the fences. Yes. Yes. So anyways, he crab walked up a wall in, in, in this prison in Pennsylvania, escaped, 
they obviously alerted everything like prisoner on the, you know, like this is a guy he's probably going to be armed at some point. You know, he's a convicted murderer. Two weeks later, they're on a manhunt all over Pennsylvania and they're in this woodsy area. And they're like, we think he's in here. Um, There was like body heat sensors from a helicopter. And they have these helicopters going above like this wooded area. And then out of nowhere, this big ass storm rolls in, starts lightning strikes like everywhere. They have to get the helicopters out of the area. So they send in troops. Well, not troops. but Well, yeah, we'll call them troops. Police force, special task. They send them on foot to go into this area and they find the dude. He has a rifle with him. He starts booking it through some bushes and they stick a police dog on him. And this police dog has become viral because it's the cutest old German Shepherd you ever done seen. And apparently what the police dog did too, which you don't hear of too much is instead of attacking him, it pinned him. So Mm. he was on the ground with his stomach down, face down. And the police dog had him in a hold. So he was biting him somewhere, but had him on a hold. I think it was like on his arm and laid on him and was able to put enough pressure that it laid on top of him until the task force members were able to come over and like put him in handcuffs. And so they arrested him, they walk out and he's, he's bleeding a little bit. Like he's not fully attacked by a dog kind of thing. And so they gave major kudos like to, to the training for this police dog as well. Turns out, go ahead. The dog's name is Yoda. Oh, is it? Mm -hmm. so cute it's a really cute dog too um and he looks all happy and proud and everything i was just really shocked about like it pinning him like that because they knew it went ahead of the task force so like he needed to keep the guy because he was also armed um Mm -hmm. so he pinned him on the ground but they get him out transport him to whatever you know police he's in custody now we're all good but something i did find interesting is that he was on the run for two weeks And he primarily stayed around the prison area because he thought that's not where they, the police would be searching. And he was in the woods. This dude for two weeks survived off of water from streams. And the thing that he only ate for two weeks was a watermelon. He found a watermelon at a local campsite and kept it with him the entire time. It seems like a bit heavy to lug around while on the run. A watermelon. Yeah. Yeah. And wait, how long did he survive? Two weeks. Two? How do you? I don't get that. Okay. So that's my uh my story for today. Hey, Holly, can you top the police dog? Ah, I'll try. Okay, so this is a story that I ran across while looking for a story for overtime today, and it actually happened earlier this year, so it's not as recent. It happened on February twenty third, but. Um, jumping back March 1995, there was a frozen body found in California. The body was undiscovered for six months, so the victim likely died in 1994. And the body was entombed in the refrigerator underwater for okay. several months. And I, I'm assuming the water was like frozen, you know? Yeah. And the hands were bound. It was a female and she had a sock in her mouth and she died from blunt force trauma. For the longest time, she was just called the lady in the fridge. And they just found out that she is Amanda Lynn Schumann, Diza. And so her identity has been confirmed. Um, it was a case that I think I've heard about before. I knew it was unsolved. I don't remember where I heard it, but 
Do we have any suspects? No, it is ongoing hmm. and remains active. So she had three young children and she oh. was seen in Napa, last seen in Napa. She was identified because through skeletal evidence sent to a lab in Texas that created a profile that would either identify her or a close family member. Mm-hmm. They reached out to the mother and daughter of the victim and the, those two, the mother and the daughter provided DNA samples and they were compared and it was discovered that she was the daughter and the mother. That was in 1996? So... She was found in 95 and they figured out that she had died. She had been frozen for since 94. Yeah. So that's 29 years. Yes. That someone's just running free. Yes. Hmm. So I guess basically like familial evidence, which we've talked about on here before through her skeleton somehow. So whose house was this body found out? I do not know the answer to that. Like I almost want to assume it could have been her house but then no because then they would have known who the body was but like whoever's house it is you ain't you you don't just know that there's not a dead body in your freezer you know like it's just not something you just miss this is interesting someone's missing a someone's missing a freezer yeah Mm -hmm. we'd love to see it yeah that's love to see it hope to get more information on that good job holly I have an ongoing case. All right, Kylie. In my driveway yesterday. Play the, we need to play the SVU music here. You want us to sing it? Perfect. You guys are good at this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Kylie, what you got for us? You got an ongoing crime story of your own? I do. An unsolved potential murder in my driveway. What? Yes, of a duck. I go outside yesterday. There's a dead duck just laying flat in front of my car as if I had hit it with my car. Yeah. But I had not. I swear to Jesus, I did not run over the duck. I have not driven my car in like a week. Okay. It looks a little suspicious. There's no blood. There's no obvious wounds, right? So the duck's just there. I don't know if it died from natural causes. I think Kate suggested it just fell out of the sky in front of my car. But here's the sad part. There's like 50 ducks that live behind my house in the lake. Mm-hmm. I wonder if one of them did it, right? Possibly. When? The duck is now in the trash bin in my garage. Do I put it out with the other ducks? Mm-mm. You don't think they want to like say goodbye? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I feel like some they, sketchy shit could happen. They would think you're threatening them for sure. Yeah. Oh, and then they're, you're going to get attacked by dogs. I don't know if they wanted to like have a funeral. No, I immediately thought like you are sending them a message. <laughs> like <laughs> don't, don't mess with my house. Otherwise this is going to, you hold the duck up by its neck. Otherwise this is going to happen to you. Yeah, that's true. I don't want that. Here's my thing. I immediately, Cam and I were like, it probably dropped from the sky and it fell and just died or something like that. There's no blood. There's no blood. Do you think if it, you know, if it went splat on the concrete, there would be blood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only thing I can think in my head is because we do live in Florida. Coyotes are a really big thing around here. Potentially a coyote got a hold of it. 
and dropped it there um because they're very large on neighborhoods as well but still its neck looked you know fine yeah i'm confused why the coyote didn't eat it yeah but we do have or coyotes someone's trying to send you a message there are a lot of karens in this neighborhood i'm gonna go stand outside and guard my ducks we'll have like a little fu- mental funeral for it what's a good name for a duck donald yep we're sorry to whatever happened to you donald um we hope that you're living your best ducky life up in heaven now all, free. all ducks go to heaven so turn up goodbye bye-bye bye, bye. bye.